Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the jubilant Jennifer Kathleen, the captivating Kathleen Halliburn, and the studious Sam G. Today we have myself, Ange, along with John and Phil, and today we're going to talk about journeys and travel in role-playing games. Before we dive into that main topic, though, we're going to ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What is one of your favorite real-world locations to set a game? John, I'm going to start with you. Recently, I've sort of like liked the isekai interdimensional real person going to like a fantasy world or fantasy world coming to the real world thing. Like I've done that a couple of times in recent games over the last year or two. So uh, there's a little local coffee shop that I have set as the like place where people are showing up to meet with their GM to talk about the next game that they're going to be involved with and whether they want to do it off this fantasy world and then kaboom, they get sent over to the fantasy world, you know? Um, so I've set one there, but I've also set one at the other local gaming bar uh, where the characters in the Eberron world interdimensionally came over to this world and were like, well, what is this place? And, and they saw like their th- Three or four people standing around playing a game. Wait, wait, did I just hear one of them mention my name? What's going on with that? You know, like like playing with those meta things. Um, but but I do like setting them in those sort of like areas that my players know and have been to and can kind of like, you know, tr- trigger those visual images in their head of like, oh, yeah, I've sat at the forge and I've looked at that thing. And I know exactly, you know, what that looks like as, as the GM describes it. So th- those are the two places I've sort of set the real world things that's very cool what about you phil so first of all before i answer this i just want to say i feel like this is my employee review like and like, <laughs> you know, both head gnomes here i feel like this is my annual my annual review of like so what have you been writing phil what goals do you have this year like hey i i haven't been head gnome for like a year officially I'm just, so i'm that's... just saying like this is between the two of you like this definitely feels like my employee review. But anyway, to answer this question, it's going to sound so cliche, but I don't care. It, I have always been in love with Paris. Uh, I went there about 15 years ago, and I will pretty much set something there if given a chance. So my Knights Black Agents game, I don't think they went to Paris this go around, but the previous game I ran uh, had a chunk of it set in Paris. The Long Live the Queen game that I'm running with Senda is taking place in a hybrid 17th century slash 22nd century fusion uh, Paris, where time travelers have come back and modernized 17th century Paris. But I just I love the city and I'm pretty familiar with it and like all the locations. And I've been to a lot of the locations, places that have been like in the movies and stuff like that. So I've been to like a bunch of the places like in born movies and things like that. Plus, I read the Da Vinci Code while I was there. Like I was reading the Da Vinci Code and I was like. I got to run to the Louvre real quick and just like ran. I was like, it's right there. That is one of the cool things is when you can kind of combine your your fiction, whatever it is, with a real world place, you know, when I was playing um, Horizon Forbidden West, even though the Las Vegas of that game is very different from actual Las Vegas, I was still like, I've been here. I saw this, you know, I saw this in the real world. You know, so that was so cool. The Fallout video games are phenomenal about that. Fallout 3 was the one I think that was set in like Washington, D.C. area. And I had a friend who came from that area and we were playing it and he's looking. It's like, yep, that's right there. No, I know what that is. And then recently I was playing Fallout 76 with a friend who's real big into Mothman. 
and we go to the Mothman town in Fallout 76. He's like, wait, I wonder if it's, and he like moves his character down the street. It's like, wow, that was weird. That was exactly what that town looks like. I knew right where the statue would be and right what storefront would be in front of and behind it. So yeah, it is, it is fascinating to have real world places in your fiction. Like it, it's that weird melding of, oh, this is way too immersive now. Now, my favorite city to set games in is actually San Francisco. I've never actually been to San Francisco, but there's just something about that city that I just adore. And pretty much all of my Doctor Who one shots are set in San Francisco. I've had the characters go to the Cliff House and the the ruins of the Sutro Baths. I've had them go to Alcatraz. I've had them go to the um, the Twin Peaks and the uh, the Sutro Tower. Um, just all these different places in San Francisco that I'm like, I, I, I'm, I like this place. I'm going to build an adventure around it. I remember playing in one of your adventures set in San Francisco where, where I was a veterinarian but couldn't tame the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> you came close. I came close. Brr. That was one of those, uh, th th this would have gone with the last episode of uh, the Gnomecast of knowing when to allow your players to roll for something and when not. <laughs> And in that particular case, I set the DC really, really high and you came within like three of it. And I'm like, I don't think I can actually give John a Velociraptor to run around. I would be responsible. I would feed it. My I, seem to, I seem to recall one of the other games where there were aliens which had a skin that if you touched it, it would make you drunk. And you were trying to figure out how to bottle it. That seems likely. <laughs> Seems on, on, on brand. Yeah. Anyway, getting into our main topic of discussion. Recently in my Eberron game, I ran into some difficulty running the part of the game that is supposed to get the characters from Sharn to Stormreach in Zendrick, which is an ocean journey on a ship. And I realized how hard it was to run a travel montage while still feeling like I was giving my players agency in the game. Because of this, I thought it would be cool to round up a couple of fellow gnomes and talk about some of the best practices to make journeys and travel interesting and engaging in our games. Phil, I want to start with you because I very specifically asked you on because I know you have been running Forbidden Lands and I believe travel is an integral part of that game. In Forbidden Lands, travel is a fully mechanized set of rules. There's actually a whole chapter of the book dedicated to travel, and it includes like a number of activities and phases that you go through. So you have to move. Anytime you move into a new hex, you have to pathfind to be able to actually like make it into the hex. Otherwise, you kind of get lost and like lose a phase of the day wandering in the hex that you're currently in. There's always encounters. So when you enter a hex, there is a chance for an encounter. And the book does this great job of giving you this uh, in the GM's guide, this tome of all these different encounters. And they're not just like a random table with a monster. They're random tables, but each one is like a couple paragraphs. And some of them are pretty straightforward, like, oh, some bandits are going to ambush you. And some of them are like plain weird, like just really bizarre things that come up. And the players have a chance anytime that those come up, they can um, avoid them or engage them. And then finally, at the end of the day, when it's time to sleep, they have to actually make camp. It requires a roll to make camp. And there are mechanical outcomes if you don't. So if you 
fail to make camp, when you go to sleep, you do not get a restful sleep and you cannot replenish any of your ability damage because that's where your hit points are. You can't replenish any of your damage for the night because you have not rested. And then on top of that, there's foraging, finding water, hunting and things like that, because all your resources in that game are resource dice. So each day you roll your resource dice to see if you have consumed, if your food consumables have gone down, if your water has gone down and you can during the travel phase, you can spend part of a phase saying, "Okay, well, let's not move. A couple of us will go hunting and now we can all bump up our food dice because we now have food or we went fishing, trapping, whatever. So it makes travel this whole thing. And in that game, when you are like journeying to an adventure site, which is what they call them. So like a dungeon or something like that, you don't skip the travel in either direction. There's an adventure traveling all the way out to the adventure site. Then you go do like all the dungeon crawly things and then you travel home. And there have been a couple of times in our game where the players, there was a time where the players almost got wiped out because of a bad set of dice rolls for camping. They like got caught camping in a storm and it got like worse and they stopped. They, they weren't able to heal any abilities. And the next day they failed their camping check. And like pretty soon they were starting to get nervous that they were going to perish in sight of their home base. And it was it was great. Like it made it was like the first time where I was like, wow, travel like we're up to almost you died of dysentery moment here. <laughs> right. Like It was it made travel like really engaging, but it's but it's very much a thing about that game. And, and those are those sort of old school sort of gaming moments that make your character feel like a part of this world. It's sort of in some ways annoying to go through the literal trudge of it, you know, and be like, but I just, I want to get to the dungeon and I want to do the thing. And if you're playing like an epic high fantasy drama piece, it doesn't work. But if you're like, cool, I am the barbarian level four with a rogue level two, and let's hopefully make it through. Like, those are the things that make it feel like your character is, is one-to-one going through this world. You know, the oh man, we got attacked by orcs in the middle of the night and we barely survived. Oh, you know, we went hunting and got, you know, like killed this giant crocodile and I tried to skin it and tan it and do it. Like those are the sort of things that are connected to your character and not to the bigger, greater story of we have to go save the world that that are like unique and personal. But, th- but those come up in travel moments like that. Yeah, I think the, the, the like one of the key issues is... Travel has to be interesting. It can't, it has to be interesting and fun. And a lot of times back in the day, travel just ended up being boring. It's like Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the monkey was in the, that you wanted to see, that you wanted to get to was in the dungeon. It was in the place you were going to, yet you had to like trudge through all of this tedium. You gotta, you gotta travel this far and the GM's rolling all these dice to see whether or not you have encounters and you're just like, can we just get to the dungeon? So it's like, you have to, you have to find that balance of, you know, when is the travel something that's going to be interesting? And when is it just get your Indiana Jones red line across the map from point A to point B? I know when I was running my previous Eberron campaign, there was a point where they had gotten all the way to the Dragon Continent, gone on an adventure there, 
went deep into the continent, found the artifact they were looking for, and I really did not want to spend the next 10 sessions role-playing getting them back from that point to get to Sharn again. The City of Towers. <laughs> Sharn, City of Towers. And so what I ended up doing is we just did kind of a round-robin storytelling exercise where each player had a turn to kind of narrate what happened on the journey back to Sharn. Mm -hmm. And some of my players absolutely love this and leaned into it. And like they had an encounter with one of those giant turtles and then they had to go, uh, they had to get shrunk down and go visit a fairy kingdom to get an item back and just all these little things they they just all threw in to basically make it, you know, the journey from that location back to Sharn interesting without me having to be like, I don't want to rope. I don't want to plan this. I don't want to stat this. I don't want to prep this. And I think with my current game, the issue I ran into was I was just trying to give them, you know, narrate the feel of, you know, like you're getting on a ship. You're going on a long journey. This is going to be a month of you guys on this ship. And there just wasn't enough there for them to interact with right away. And it was just like I had, you know, six blank faces staring at me as I'm waiting for them to, like, tell me what they want to do on the ship. And it was like, OK, I'm doing this wrong. You know, I didn't set this up the way I needed to to make it feel like these players were actually engaging in this journey as well. The second half of the session went much better, but it was like definitely that first half was like, OK, I need to reexamine how I'm running travel in a game, especially when the travel is actually important. You know, the, the interesting thing that that from what Phil said that that really resonated in the Forbidden Lands, it was that all the encounters had meaning. And that's sort of what you want to get out of travel is that it has meaning. Because like you said, it's the Indiana Jones red line. Great. Mm -hmm. Like, cool. You get there. You know, you're, you're still doing something to help them visualize, connect to this is a long journey that is occurring. You know, this travel is something. But when you have those encounters, you, you want to make it feel worthwhile that you're having that encounter, that there's something along the way, that this travel is epic, that things are interrupting you. But they, they are essentially the filler episode in the 26 episode TV series. You know, they have their own weight as well. But unless you have it like a game where the buy in, like in Forbidden Lands, is yes, this is part of the old school style experience. You really have to figure out what the player's desire for engagement with that is, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you said, do they want to get to the monkey in the dungeon? You know, are they chasing that? Or are they like, okay, cool. What are our characters doing? I want to chew on the scenery a bit, talk about my character. And on the ship, I would be doing this. And, and that's always just a matter of like, in today's session, what do the players actually want? Because that's going to be vastly different between sessions. So, for example, Fellowship of the Ring. It's like the big part of that story is the travel. It's these characters traveling together, working together to get to the locations they're trying to get to. And there's a lot of bonding and a lot of character building that happens over that time. But that can sometimes be a little harder to work into a role playing game. Sometimes the PCs don't have anyone else to play off of except each other. And that can be a little hard to wrangle into play when it's just them in the wilderness. Sometimes it can work. Sometimes it can't. 
How does Forbidden Lands handle that type of thing, Phil? Because there's so much actually going on mechanically, you can actually just run the mechanics of it. But if you want to do the chat, the banter, the back and forth kind of thing, I actually just kick this out to the like the meta level. And I'll just say to the players like, hey, this travel is going to take, you know, a significant amount of time. I'd like everybody to have a personal encounter during some course of this trip. Think about who you might want to sit and chat with. And I'd like to go around the table and play out those scenes, just, you know, passing the time kind of thing. Oh, and in addition, if you guys want to, you know, uh, train or anything, you know, whatever the currency is in the game, I'll give you some points, bonus, inspiration, XP, whatever, because we've been on this boat and there's nothing to do. So you've been working out, praying, studying magic. So here's some bonuses, but also I'd like some personal scenes. And I just say those things like I'm pretty deliberate about those things. I don't try to slide them in or sneak them in yeah. i'm just like like you guys have some unresolved shit or whatever like just <laughs> go like decide who you're talking to on this trip let's see how it goes and i think i can see from from my last eberron game it's like sometimes i want that type of thing to happen but you like you said you have to just say it to your players you have to be upfront. Mm -hmm. this is what i want to have happen here because if you don't you'll have those players that kind of turtle up sure and they just you know no no, no i'll just go off here and do this thing and maybe interact with an NPC or two. But these are the people you're traveling with. You should probably be interacting with them. But players don't always naturally come to that. They sometimes need a little bit of prodding to have those type of things. If I can get all the way up to everybody getting on the ship, I'm going to use your example. Like If I can end my one session with everybody getting on the ship, then I can, when we're ready to start the next session, I can say, hey, listen, next session, we're going to do the boat ride. It's like a month long because it's like a hell of a you know journey. You guys have to go on. Mm -hmm. I'm going to compress it. I want to actually get you to the land, get off the boat kind of thing. But during that compression, here's what I'm thinking. A couple of personal scenes, some training, whatever. Think about it. Let me know and we'll pack it into, the, you know, like expect that that's what's coming up when we play next, like next time. I'm always a fan. Like I will as much as possible, just tell like my players, like, here's what I think's happening next time. Prepare yourselves. One of the things that, that I've done, cause you know, you say get them up to the ship and we'll handle the rest of it next time. If I can, I will make travel happen between sessions, but I have a pretty robust side job set up, you know, going on, especially for D and D games where people can do side jobs. They make three roles, like one combat role, one perception role, one something else, and and depending on how well they did, can get some reward. Using something like that for that anthology sort of idea, like, all right, cool, you get on the ship in Stormreach, it'll take you a month to get back, tell me one thing that happens, and make three rolls, DC 15 each, then you tell me what happens after that. Like, set a goal, make choose what three roles are relevant, and if you failed or succeeded, you tell me, you know, what happens. Um, and then th that's usually led to... I want to go search out this like magic weapon that I want. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Uh, along the way, our ship stops at this little port to trade and there happens to be somebody there. They make their roles. They tell me how they do. And then I can sort of go, yeah, you find this, you do that. But, but being player driven, they decide how much engagement they, want. you know, somebody else who's like, yeah, I don't really care is like, uh, along the way I do some trade. I just want to get more gold. I'm like, great. Give me three haggling equivalent roles and insight, uh, you know, uh, charisma and a performance and cool. Like you get 2000 extra gold for your thing. That was all it was for the one character who doesn't really engage until you give him scenery to chew on because mm -hmm. 
like I just about an hour ago, you know, had travel on an airship to, um, you know, to this one location. And I'm like, something has to happen. If they're traveling by the airship and not the teleportation circle Aetherite, the travel has to have something to it. And so I'm like, okay, roll on a random table. Hey, a storm happens. They all tell you to go inside. Um, and that one player was like, oh, I, I, I watch the storm through the window. And I'm like, okay, that's a note of engagement. The player wants to engage with this scene. What do I do with that? Well, what would be interesting? Well, he's a mage. Okay, I, I had another mage do a modified version of mage armor on the air balloon to protect it. And he goes, I want to know about that. So, you know, like it, it was sort of just a little bit of like building brick by brick. Mm-hmm. I see some engagement. This is part of the travel, so it's nothing important to the plot. I'll throw in this extra thing. He wants to know more, you know, uh, but because he kept being engaged, I kept adding on to it a little. And the other player found a way to go into that and to add to that. But we only had two players. So it's sort of like, oh, yeah, cool. Here's two players interacting off each other rather than six people trying to figure out how to fill that up. You really have to kind of go with the engagement and engage it towards how long that travel actually exists and how much narrative weight it should take up in your session. It's a great point. Yeah, that is a really good point because you can offer the plot to your players, but you can't make them drink. (laughs) (laughs) And And it's an okay thing to just ask, like, hey, we have this long journey coming up. Like, do you guys want to just compress the whole thing down and you arrive? Do you want some time to pass? Like... Do you want to do research? Do you want to, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, players like not all players will say like, well, I want to do research. But if a couple do, you're like, all right, cool. Like, let's add a meta component in for it. Not every game needs to detail travel, right? Certain games are great for it. And some games it's like, cool, you jump to hyperspace. Yeah. We'll pick up next session as you uh, exit hyperspace and, you know, in System X. Uh, For example, I've run uh, Monster of the Week many times and... Monster of the Week can often run a game based on concepts in like in the show Supernatural. And a lot of Supernatural is the brothers are in their car. They arrive in a town. They find the mystery. There is this feeling that there should be a lot of road trip aspects to the game. But you never see that on the show. The show is they arrive in a location, they deal with the mystery in that location, they get in their car, they head off someplace else. So a cool way to simulate that is, so one, you can do a hard cut, right? Open the game as you're driving into town kind of thing. But you can just ask a simple question to the players and be like, what are you two currently arguing about that happened on the drive, like on the drive in, right? And just let them be ridiculous that like they had some bad experience in a diner or you know, oh, I shouldn't have bought that gas station sushi kind of thing. Right. And it just it makes it makes that moment feel like they've been on a road trip, that little bit of banter mm-hmm. as they pull into town and then they can just fade out. Right. Like that. Like or it can be a joke that you kind of carry through for the rest of the session. But that little bit of opening just, you know, what are you guys arguing about as you roll into town here? Like what what happened? What happened like a few hours ago on the drive? Well, that'll just get it all like it's a great way to kind of kick that kind of thing off. Like who ate the last piece of pie? (laughs) And, you know, it all comes down to the genre and how important travel is to that. Mm Because like you said, in Supernatural, travel is important so long as nine times out of ten it occurs off screen. Like it's the space for Sam and Dee to have the the talk with each other. I would put money on 50 percent of Supernatural episodes ending with 
them in the car having their heartfelt, here's the moral talk. Mm -hmm. But then Lord of the Rings, like that running scene from the movies and very long in the books as well, was an important part of we are traversing across the entire continent. But, you know, you play, uh, you know, a vampire, you know, the masquerade or like a cyberpunk. Yeah, cool. You drive to the location. You're there. <laughs> like, like that doesn't really actually add any narrative impact to whatever is going on. You know, e even like in space that you brought up, like you get in hyperspace, you're out of hyperspace. Now you're there. And it's not that important. Maybe you pick up a distress signal along the way, but that's almost like its own session. Like, hey, I've got a session that starts with you pick up a distress signal rather than in every session we have to roll to see what happens because the travel is important, but in a, in a very abstracted way. Right. Like you can have you can have events and encounters that happen during travel. Sure. Like when the Millennium Falcon landed on the asteroid that was no asteroid. You know, you can you can have those things peppered throughout, but you you don't want to force the characters into these travel scenes that don't provide anything for them to build off of. And and that wasn't that scenario wasn't even just normal day-to-day -day travel between planets. That was like we are hiding from the Imperials, right. you know, like that was already tied into the narrative. I did one once in an Iron Heroes game where the players were traveling from one kingdom to the next and, and boat travel was pretty risky in this game. Like humans weren't great at traveling by boat. In the middle of it, we had a hurricane and I had it as a series of skill checks as the heroes like helped the crew keep the ship together. And they just like made some skill checks and like the, you know, the it you know, took damage if, you know, it was winds and debris and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, kicked around. But the goal was like, you need to keep this ship together enough to get to your location. Once that was done, I was like, cool. Now we're, you know, I think there was one more encounter. And then I was like, oh, now you're there. I believe Jared in his D&D uh, &D campaign, I could be wrong on how he actually did this, but during a sea travel segment we also got hit with a storm and what he had us do is it was kind of like a skill challenge where the pcs would roll a skill to basically try and help the crew and depending upon how we did it gave the crew bonuses to keep the ship together and moving forward which i thought was pretty interesting so you know there's what i actually consider the perfect example of narrative events during travel in a video game I've recently played. And it's the Battletech video game. Big giant mechs, you know, fighting each other. But you have to move from planet to planet. And because of the sort of the lore of Battletech, that is not a, yep, hyper jump and I'm there. You go to the, the, the hyper jump ship, you get on it. In the game, these little like, okay, day 19, day 20, day 21, day 22. But what's really cool is randomly throughout this, up pops a little narrative thing that talks about something happening on this big giant ship. And it just like lays out the situation, what happens in, in, you know, in text. And then you have a choice to make. And that, that's what I think is really kind of driftable to role playing games. There's like a, Oh, two, two of the crew members are having a dispute. Where do you step in? Do you choose this crew member, that crew member, or tell them to deal with it? And so you only have sort of a decision path of three options rather than the very ambiguous 
well, what do you do? Well, what do you want to do? You know, hey, a storm happens. Do you help the crew? Do you hide in the bottom or do you, you know, abandon ship? Cool. Here's your decision path of three things you can pick from. And depending on which ones you pick without even like a role or anything, it's just you have made the choice. Here's the outcome of that choice. You help the crew. Y'all manage to get through, but maybe you're at like one level of exhaustion at the end of the, the travel. Uh, you choose to hide in, in the cargo hold, takes 10 extra days for the travel because there's some repairs that happen. You abandon ship because it looks so bad. Well, you're on a life raft and here's this <laughs> other adventure. Hey, y'all chose to abandon ship because you thought it looked so, you know, but, but that's actually a really phenomenal example of here's the tiny narrative during the travel that makes the long travel feel epic or worthwhile or like something happens. And then you get to choose. And based on your choices, you've, you know, choose your own adventure, the story. So <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered a lot of stuff. We should probably start wrapping up. Any last thoughts on travel uh, or working journeys into your game meaningfully from you, Phil? Yeah, I'll, I'll double back on what John said. Certain genres, certain games suit travel. Certain ones don't. And I think that is an offbeat kind of thing. You can sometimes introduce it where it doesn't fit. But for the most part, kind of follow the game and genre. If the game and genre are about travel, play it up. And if it's not, you know, then only occasionally introduce something. And otherwise, just, you know, let the players arrive in their new location. Make it meaningful. Come you, John? I would say, based on the length of the traveler, based on what it should be, decide how much narrative space the travel encounter takes up in your bigger overall story. And don't let it fall outside of that. If it's like, hey, we need to simulate a long trip, give it a couple of things because you need that to have more weight. So the, if, if the long trip should have that much narrative weight, but if it's like, yep, cool, we got there and then we're done. Don't let it take any more space outside of the Indiana Jones red line. Yep, we have managed to make it there. There's a two sentence explanation of some encounter that happened along the way. But yep, you you encountered gift, gift pirates and fought them off. Cool. <laughs> great. That's done. Just just make sure you set the lines that are appropriate and stay within those lines. And my last thoughts are that I'm totally stealing a bunch of ideas we talked about today. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website, the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Conport. Need to get across vast distances between your home and that awesome gaming convention you don't want to miss out on? Well, try Conport. Teleportation may still be theoretical, but we can help you cure that dreaded FOMO by getting you to the con. Results not guaranteed, especially if a fly gets in the chamber with you. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Bonus experience. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. <laughs> you can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to today? Phil? I do a few podcasts. So you can catch me on The Misdirected Mark and on Pandas Talking Games. And of course, I write at least one article a month on The Stew. John, what about you? Uh, since we're talking about travel today, um, I've made in other phases of my life a couple of really cool travel tools. Uh, for Cobalt Press, I made an interactive map with a legit Indiana Jones red line that you can <laughs> click on to determine how many miles between these areas. And I've also made off of that, if you search uh, Eberron Interactive Map, I made an unofficial one for one of my Eberron games that's out there that people can find and, and make use of. But, you know, th those may be useful to you. I've been using the Eberron one in my Eberron campaign. That's what it's there for. So for me, 
Jared Rasher and I have started a new podcast about D&D. It's called Thacko with Advantage. It is hosted on the Misdirected Mark Network, uh, and we're dropping new episodes every other week. So please check us out. So do you think this episode was good enough to keep you both out of the stew? I actually have a place to be, so I'm just going to hit the road now. I'm going to use that con teleporter. I'm out of here. (laughs) 